Indiana's COVID numbers on the rise, along with concerns about a new COVID variant. We'll talk with former state health commissioner, Dr. Richard Feldman, and hear from state lawmakers on opposite sides of the debate over vaccine mandates. Plus, we're one-on-one with Senator Todd Young and Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm about the president's Build Back Better bill. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. This new variant is is a cause for concern, but not a cause for panic. Health officials around the country and here in Indiana keeping an eye out for the latest coronavirus variant. This is cases continue to skyrocket here in Indiana in recent days. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dan Spieler. We start with these new concerns about the Omicron variant. Washington correspondent Alexandre Limone has the latest on the president's plans as we wait for information on just how mild or severe or transmissible this new variant will be as it continues to spread. President Biden is implementing new travel rules to combat the newly discovered Omicron variant. All inbound international travelers must test within one day of departure regardless of their vaccination status or nationality. The president is also extending the mask requirement through the winter for domestic travelers on planes, trains, buses, and all public transit. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy says the CDC is studying a plan that would allow students to test frequently to stay in the classroom after exposure to COVID-19. So the CDC is just looking at the data around this to make sure They know the details of what frequency of testing makes sense. They want to make sure that the data is clear, that this is a safe strategy. The administration is also expanding efforts to get more vaccines in the arms of unvaccinated adults and children older than five by opening clinics where families can get their shots together. A plan is also in the works to increase access to testing by having private health insurance cover the cost of at-home tests. And we will be sending 50 million rapid antigen tests to community centers around the country so people can also access those tests freely. President Biden says he hopes the country will unite behind his plan. To think of it in terms of literally a patriotic responsibility. All right, that was Alexandra Limon reporting from Washington. Meantime, at the Indiana Statehouse, GOP lawmakers have filed a bill they had initially hoped to pass before the Thanksgiving holiday that would limit the measures Indiana businesses can take when it comes to vaccine mandates. Kristen Eskow spoke with lawmakers on both sides. I think you have to have this balance between the rights of the individual and rights of the employer. State Representative Bob Banning is one of more than 50 Indiana House Republicans co-authoring the bill that would limit vaccine mandates. The bill would require any employer with a COVID vaccine mandate to also offer a testing option. And the cost of testing would be covered by the employer, not the employee. Like I said, it's a balance. And as we as this moves through the process, we'll probably have continue to have a discussion on it. The proposal was criticized by Indiana business leaders during a public meeting last week. But others argue it doesn't go far enough. Republican State Representative Mike Speedy is also a co-author. I'd like to see it um, uh, to recognize natural uh, immunity uh, more thoroughly um, and uh, maybe put some teeth in it should uh, an employer not Uh, comply with the letter of the law. Democrats argue Republicans are playing politics and hurting businesses in the process. I don't think we should be doing anything at this critical point when we are trying to recover our economy and balance that with protecting life. Meanwhile, medical experts have concerns of their own. Dr. Stephen Tharp, who testified against the bill last week, is a former president of the Indiana State Medical Association. 
He argues the bill could cause fewer people to get vaccinated if it becomes law. That does not make any sense. That is that that opposes um, what we need to do for public health. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kristen Escow. All right, Kristen, thanks. This week, I also spoke one on one with Dr. Richard Feldman, who served as state health commissioner under Governor Frank O'Bannon. I asked him about these proposals to limit vaccine mandates and potentially end the public health emergency. Unfortunately, I think it is a absolutely dreadful message to the public. Uh, and that message is the pandemic is over. We're moving on. And it's far from over. Our uh, case rate has skyrocketed. Uh, this morning, I noticed it was on Wednesday, it was 6,000 new cases. Hospitalizations are increasing. And soon, I think the death rate is going to increase as well. We have a, a new surge in Delta with the uh, coming winter months, people indoors, more crowded situations. And as you know, nobody in Indiana is taking this uh, well, I should say most people are not taking this seriously. They're not wearing masks. They're not doing any mitigation. It's over for them. And this is just another uh, horrible message to the public. And it's, it's purely political. And they even admit at the state house that it's symbolic, symbolic of government overreach and, and uh, fighting government overreach. And I think it's just really uh, very unfortunate. What are you watching for in terms of this Omicron variant and what its impact will be here? There are still a lot of questions about, about how it will impact things uh, in an already worsening pandemic. Right. Omicron is still largely an unknown. I think it's very worrisome uh, because of the number of mutations on the spike proteins. Uh, I think it's 30 uh, they're counting. But also there are mutations in vital areas of, uh, of the virus uh, that uh, we know uh, can predispose that virus to be more transmissible. And we need to get the public immunized one way or another. And uh, I'm in favor of mandates. Uh, I know that's very controversial and very unpopular probably with your audience uh, generally, but it is a uh, a move uh, that a public health move that is very, very necessary because I don't think we're going to get to herd immunity without at least employer mandates. And it disturbs me that the legislature wants to interfere uh, with the operations of uh, private business. All right. You can see more of that interview on our website. I also spoke this week with Indiana Senator Todd Young about everything happening in Congress this week and about the threat of this new Omicron variant. How concerned are you about the impact this variant could have in our fight against the pandemic? And are these travel bans in place and some of these new uh, travel requirements for testing the right move in your opinion? Yeah, look, they're, uh, of course, a concern. Uh, I don't think Hoosiers should overreact, but they could, should continue to follow the guidance of their doctors and, um, and, and public health uh, experts, as, as most Hoosiers are. In terms of uh, the flight uh, prohibitions coming out of South Africa and Southern African countries, it seems to make more sense to me to be actually testing the people uh, who are flying from uh, certain countries into the United States, uh, because uh, as we all know, someone's gonna go from South Africa to a third country and, and into the United States. So that doesn't seem like a, a really thoughtful policy that uh, the president has put forward. 
I want to ask you about everything happening in Congress uh, this week. The Senate could soon take up the Build Back Better Act that passed the House. Will it get support from all 50 Democrats or will your party be able to get one or two of them uh, on your side to prevent the, this bill from passing the Senate? Senator Manchin in particular is insisting, I think appropriately, uh, that uh, the legislation receives a score, meaning he figures out how much it costs and uh, whether the proposed tax increases are going to pay for it and who will be impacted. He's also insisted on some, uh, some substantive changes to it. He doesn't want a child tax credit to go to people uh, who aren't working and incentivize uh, folks to stay home, and, and he has some other demands that haven't been met yet. So I think this will run into next year beyond the holidays. And uh, I'm hopeful that it, in the end, dies because it's been partisan. It's a, it's a trillion-dollar-plus tax-and-spend boondoggle that uh, will advantage uh, wealthy people from blue states. We spoke with Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm this week about the bill. Here's what she had to say. We want to make sure that Indiana is putting people to work in building the products that reduce carbon pollution. So the Build Back Better agenda creates tax incentives to be able to manufacture in the United States these products, whether they're wind turbines or solar panels or batteries for electric vehicles or the electric vehicles themselves. We want to build all that stuff in the United States instead of getting those products from China or another economic competitor and put people to work. The Build Back Better agenda would put 1.5 million people to work across the country. Do you dispute that in terms of the potential impact this bill might have here in Indiana and around the nation? Well, I, her employment figures are pie in the sky and, and no doubt half-baked, but uh, I share her goals uh, that she laid out. I, I share uh, ensuring we have more manufacturing in the United States, uh, that the U.S. leads the way on green energy technologies. That's why uh, I've worked with colleagues on both sides of the aisle on my Endless Frontier Act. Uh, that would significantly increase our investment in green energy technologies so they can be made in places like Indiana. I mean, we can lead the way in these fields, but we don't have to make these investments in conjunction with efforts to, for example, double the cost of child care, which is uh, what this legislation would do. It would first increase the cost uh, by roughly double and then ask taxpayers uh, to, to increase access to the uh, doubled-costed uh, uh, child care, which is uh, absurd. Uh, so this is exactly why you need to have bipartisan legislation not developed behind closed doors, uh, but instead uh, that goes through the committee process in, in the normal uh, way so that the public uh, has transparency into the process. We don't have that. Uh, we have an incredibly partisan effort led by Senator Schumer and, and uh, President Biden, who campaigned on being a moderate. And uh, the American people have, for the most part, had enough. What about the debt ceiling talks? Where's that headed? Look, I, none of us uh, would ever want to default on the nation's obligations. Uh, that's why whenever I've been in the majority, uh, I've always uh, done what the majority does, which is suspend the debt ceiling. Uh, and uh, ensure that uh, we, we make good on our nation's obligations. The Democrats are in the majority right now, so uh, I have confidence that they'll do the right thing and, and uh, also uh, vote to suspend the debt ceiling. Uh, seeing as they haven't consulted with Republicans on, on any of these major spending bills uh, this year. 
All right, my interview there with Senator Todd Young. Coming up next, we'll talk about the big news this week at the Supreme Court with justices hearing arguments on an abortion case. Could it lead to a reversal of Roe v. Wade? We'll talk with our panel about that. Plus, we'll talk about the emerging rivalry, perhaps, between the vice president and the transportation secretary as the two appear together this week to tout the infrastructure bill. Next. Minimally gives us back to the states so that the people can decide within their own states what rules and laws need to be in place to make sure that we preserve the sanctity of life. It's been a long fight and there's been ups and downs. I think right now in the culture of this country, this probably speaks more hope to people that have been in this fight to battle abortion funded by taxpayer money. That was the scene outside the Supreme Court this week. Indiana lawmakers among those outside the high court as justices heard arguments in a case that could potentially overturn Roe v. Wade. We're joined now by our panel, Laura Wilson, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Jennifer, what, what could this case mean, practically speaking and politically, in, in terms of the potential ramifications? Yeah, I mean, Dan, there's no, no doubt that abortion is obviously an emotional issue and quite possibly the most controversial issue in our country over the, the past decade since Roe v. Wade. Um, I'm not encouraged by the direction that the court appears to be taking with the questions that they asked this week. And I think, you know, we have to we have to really think long and hard about why the Supreme Court did what they did in the first place. And, you know, Senator Braun says, oh, send it back to the states. But, you know, do we really want a patchwork of protections for women where when they cross over a state line, they may or may not have access to critical health care? I don't think that we do. Um, but again, I'm not encouraged by the direction the court seemed to take this week. Mike, this is now a much more conservative court that, that could be poised to make a move. And with a Hoosier, Amy Coney Barrett now in a very pivotal role here. Absolutely, Dan. Um, as a lifetime member of uh, Indiana Right to Life, literally since I was 18 years old, which I admit is a long time ago, um, I think the, uh, the prospects are actually encouraging. One of the basic rights enumerated in the Declaration of Independence is the right to life. And I think we need to uh, be consistent in supporting that. Abdul, where, where do you see this headed legally and politically? Uh, well, from a legal perspective, I would not be surprised. Let's put it this way. I don't see the court necessarily overturning Roe v. Wade uh, because that would just open up a floodgates, uh, particularly during the midterm election season. The court is very cognizant of the political atmosphere. Now, with that said, I do see them possibly scaling Roe v. Wade back. And a couple of end up with what Jennifer said, with sort of a patch quilt uh, of abortion rights across the country. For example, Indiana would be a very pro-life state, but my home state of Illinois would be very pro-choice. We'll see what happens. Laura, as Abdul mentioned there, this ruling could in fact come next year, right in the middle of the midterms. What impact might that have in an election year? Well, you know, a lot of times I'll advocate for saying that things don't always impact voters in the same way. There's a long time till the elections. Voters have short term memories. But as Jennifer mentioned earlier, this is a major wedge issue, perhaps the the biggest controversial issue of our time in terms of politics. And I do think this decision would have significant ramifications on the election when it comes out, um, in particular, how people view the reactions of the political parties, the politicians in power. And then they look at the differences across states um, and how they've handled the, this challenge. I think it could have a major impact on the election. All right. Meantime, a lot happening in Congress this past week. You saw Senator Braun there earlier. His proposal to ban vaccine mandates could pass the Senate next week. It won't pass in the House. Similar legislation is being discussed, though, at the state level. Mike, how will all of this play out at the State House this year? It seems as if lawmakers are pretty determined to make that move, despite groups like the Indiana Chamber voicing their opposition. 
Well, the Indiana Chamber almost always gets their way eventually. I'm, you're talking 90%, 95%. But I, I do think there, there people are looking for a common ground. You notice the, um, the governor and the legislature are trying to stand down from their several-month battle. Um, and this is maybe the product of that. Um, I, in the end, I think that um, the, the legislature will listen to their constituents. And I think we will probably have um, some kind of a ban against mandates. We'll see what happens. Jennifer, we heard from the former state health commissioner there earlier, sounding pretty exasperated at lawmakers for putting forth proposals like this. It's concerns grow about where things are headed right now with this pandemic. Yeah, I, I mean, I can only imagine what it's like to be a frontline healthcare worker right now and to be in, what are we, round three, round four of the ups and downs with our ICU beds filling back up um, with our vaccination rate, you know, kind of stagnating. It's got to be incredibly frustrating. And I think, you know, we saw the debacle with lawmakers saying we're going to do a one day session. No, we're not getting a whole bunch of pushback, you know, before Thanksgiving. Um, and I, I just I really would compel people, ask people, please go out and get your vaccine. Please stop making this a political issue so we can actually all get through this pandemic and move on. Abdul, what about the moves the president announced this week at the federal level? Some air travel protocols extended and enhanced. The president making it clear no lockdowns, no shutdowns are in the works, calling for Americans to try and come together during a pandemic that's that's really continued to highlight a lot of divisions in this country throughout. Yeah, exactly. And what I think is really interesting, what really sort of changes our conversation uh, is the Omicron uh, variant of, of COVID-19, because that we still don't know exactly, know exactly quite sure uh, what its impact is going to be in this country. And also the thing too, is that the Omicron virus apparently seems to like people who've had uh, COVID-19 before, but weren't necessarily vaccinated. So it'll be interesting to see how that, like I said, you know, changes our conversation, our dynamics in this country. We'll see how that plays into the conversation about natural immunity that's popped up as well. All right, the administration this week also continuing to try and make the case for the Build Back Better agenda and the infrastructure bill now signed into law. And look who was out on the road together this past week. Vice President Harris and Secretary Pete Buttigieg. It's been a lot made of this potential emerging rivalry to one day be the face of the post-Biden Democratic Party. But on the road this week, Laura, the two certainly tried to give the impression that there's no real political rivalry between the two. Well, you know, it's not an election right now, uh, so there shouldn't be. They're on the same team. They're literally the same party, uh, though it does seem that, of course, they both ran for president at one point, and that past tension may occur again uh, in terms of the election. I think they're doing the right thing, it, even when you understand you may not be on the same page policy-wise or in other ways. Uh, if it's a member of your party, united you stand, and that's really important. Jennifer, how do you see the optics of this? Intentional that the, they put the two of them out on the road together this week? You know, I've always said, and insiders in D.C. say that, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. is like Hollywood for ugly people, right? And so, like, this is not any different than the trumped-up stuff you read on the tabloid pages about the Kardashians or whatever, right? Like, don't read too much into it. They are, as Laura said, on the same team. They are touting the same agenda. And whatever happens in 2024, that is a long way from now. Mike, how do you see this across the aisle? Well, I would actually be disappointed if there wasn't some creative dissonance going on within the Biden administration. That's why you have smart people in your cabinet. They're all not going to walk in as lemmings. They're going to have their own ideas based on their own experience. Um, it happens. It happened in the Mayor Goldsmith administration. It happened in Mitch Daniels administration. That's what you want. Smart people debating things. But when you walk out of the door onto the plane or onto the in front of the news conference, then they're uh, both on the same page. I, I agree with Jennifer. That's all trumped up. It's 
it's you know it's it's clickbait is what it is. Quickly, Abdul, I'll give you the last word on this here. Well, we're all in agreement with each other. I like to say the day in politics <laughs> is like a lifetime. And so I'm sure every morning, yeah. Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris look in the mirror and see president. But right now, there's only one president, and that's Joe Biden. And of course, as you all mentioned, 2024, or perhaps 2028, we don't even know what primary we're talking about here, uh, a long ways down the road. All right, coming up next, concerns about crime at the local level. Could it lead to new legislation at the state level? We'll have the latest straight ahead. I will say this as a law enforcement professional. It is embarrassing embarrassing to have to be calling and seeking help from the state level only because our local leadership refuses to take the necessary actions to intervene and prevent many of these tragedies. The Indianapolis FOP is asking for new legislation at the state level to help in the fight against violent crime, with Indy again breaking its all-time homicide record this year. The FOP president appearing on national television this week on Fox & Friends to share his concerns. I think, again, it goes back to what's driving this uh, lack of trust and respect, really, for law enforcement, is the fractures within the system. It's when the residents in the community, the residents in the neighborhood, see the officers make the arrest, but see that violent offender return right back to the neighborhood, often within hours. Now, in response to the FOP's legislative proposals, the mayor's office sent us a statement pointing to their $150 million plan to invest in law enforcement in the capital city of Indiana. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Thanks. Time for this week's winners and losers. Mike. Uh, the winner has to be the state Senate of Indiana. It's good to see some real leadership in fighting crime for the first time in probably at least two or three years. Jennifer. Mine's more of a plea to the General Assembly and lawmakers to focus less on vaccine mandates or the lack thereof, and more on jobs, the economy, education, those kitchen table issues that are really going to matter in the upcoming session. Abdul? My winners are, of course, the men and women of IMPD. They get up every day, and as we saw this week, they put their lives in danger uh, to keep us safe. Our losers this week are the, it's Mary County's bell system, which has to be reformed. Laura? Our winner is the Indianapolis Public Library. They hired their first social worker, and this is a major accomplishment, but also recognition that libraries are so much more than books, and they're really working to achieve community needs. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next week.